You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Last week we had our Family Sunday, and one of the purposes of having Family Sundays is to address children as well and have uh, the, the opportunity for kids to also hear the gospel with all of us in a formal setting, if you want to call it that way. So if you were here last week, you noticed that we included kids that read scripture. We had some songs that included kids. The sermon is very kid-friendly. And that's something we want to do. And also, it helps provide a break for the people who take care of the kids. And, and uh, so I, I, I emphasize that our Christian duty is to help people and not only preach the gospel. I, I emphasize that both of them go hand in hand. And it was brought to my attention that when talking to kids, we, especially because of the environment we live in, we now need to make the distinction or, or the warning to say, you should never help anyone if, if this is going to put you in a difficult situation, or you should not, not just help another adult that you don't know. So those little things, safeguards, I think that are important to say. And I didn't think about this. And uh, it was brought to my attention, so I want to make sure that you guys hear me out also say that as a parent, you should talk to your kids about that and make sure that they know that, yes, we're a Christian and we're supposed to help others, but if that's going to put you in a position where you as a kid especially are vulnerable, uh, you should not do it. So I'm going to go ahead after sermon and, and visit the, the kids' class and just say that to them. But I wanted to clarify that. And these are some of the, the, the blind spots I have, even though I have four kids uh, that I, I usually don't think about. So if you ever have any uh, suggestions or comments or things like that when it comes to any of, of my sermons or teachings, please feel free to, to reach out. That's uh, something. I, how, how do you call what I just did? Announcement? I don't know. Whatever. So let me go ahead and pray. And we're going to dive into our text this morning. And we're going to... Uh, be on Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. Dear God, we thank you for your uh, word. We thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you for your mercy. And thank you because you allow us to come to your word and be shaped by it. I pray that today you would challenge us. You would... Um, correct things that need to be corrected, but mostly I pray that you would give us hope and comfort through the gospel and through your word. Thank you because we are not in a faith, in a relationship that requires us to perform, but rather a faith that gives us the freedom to understand that you have done everything we need to do on our behalf. And in that freedom today, we approach your word and we thank you because you are a gracious God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And if you remember, as a little bit of a review, last time we talked about Ephesians, I think it was two weeks ago, we uh, talked about chapter, the end of chapter 2, and Paul introduced this sort of new idea or new for the Ephesians 
of the reconciliation between Gentiles and Jews. Remember that? Uh, Paul built the argument that there was no longer two kinds of people. There was no longer an ethnicity that had an advantage over the other one when it comes to being closer to God. Uh, he said that we have been reconciled to each other, and he actually uses the word or the term, the wall of hostility that has been uh, broken down in Jesus. Then he also talks about how there's now a new man. There's no, not, no longer two or three or four. There's one man, and that that man has also been reconciled to God. So Paul talks about how in the church and in the world, God is reconciling us to each other, and he's also reconciling all of us together with him. So that, that was Paul's um, initial uh, mention of this in chapter, uh, chapter 2. But uh, Paul moves on to gives us more, give us more clarity about this. In uh, chapter 3, he's going to spend a lot of time actually talking about this. Uh, but he uses some new terminology that are, is interesting. And I would like to take some time to dive a little more into this. So let me go ahead and read Ephesians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 13, and it says this. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Well, there's a lot in this text. And I'm pretty sure that uh, some of us are kind of thinking, what is he saying with all these words? So let me go ahead and attempt to, to give you a better picture of what Paul is talking about. So there is at least four different mentions of a mystery. Did you catch that? There is a mystery that Paul is talking about. There's also five mentions of revelations or the word made known. Uh, which means that this mystery has now been revealed. And from the get-go, there's really no mystery at all. He actually, Paul actually tells us what the mystery is. And if you read in verse 6, Paul says and explains to us that this mystery 
is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And this is now Paul revealing what he was talking about in chapter 2. And he is telling us that this is something that is now revealed to us, the church. And the revelation is that the God of the Jews, the God of the universe, the one true God, creator of everything, is not only the God of Abraham and Isaac and the circumcised and the ones who follow the Shabbat and the ones who follow the Feast of Tabernacles and the ones who abstain from certain foods. That is no longer the case. What Paul is saying is there's, this mystery is now being revealed and the mystery is that everyone is welcome into the salvation of this God. And Paul is saying there is no exclusivity, and in fact, he will later on say that there has never been an exclusivity, but it's no longer the God of the Jews or the God of Israel. He's now the God of the Africans and the God of the Asians and the God of the Hispanics and the Europeans and everybody's. He's the God of the entire world. So this is the, this is the mystery that Paul is talking about. But let me just talk a little bit about a few things that uh, he points out that are important for us to understand. Number one is that this mystery was purposely hidden for thousands of years. Paul says hidden for ages. This is the plan that God hid for ages. And this is important for us, and it's important for us to understand because, number one, we need to understand that we don't know everything. That it is impossible for us to comprehend what God is doing now and what he did thousands of years ago and what's going to happen in another thousand years. We are not capable to understand God's purposes in our life. And in fact, there are things that God hides from us intentionally. Why? We don't know. He doesn't really say why exactly he hid it, but it was hidden. And we need to understand that it was something, it was a plan that God was developing, God was developing, it, it, God gave clues to people, and we now have a book that we can look back and say, oh, it makes sense. Oh, I see why Noah and Abraham, oh, I understand why Samson and Judah, and uh, we can now look back thousands of years and get a better glimpse. But at that moment, these people have no clue. And it was intentional. Abraham received a promise. God himself spoke to Abraham. And he said, I am going to choose you. And from you, are gonna, I'm going to do a great nation. And Abraham was like, really? And God says, yeah. And you're going to be the father of thousands. And Abraham was like, wow. And God says, and you are going to be blessed. And I'm going to bless the nations through you. And he completely missed that. He's like, yes. And, and every, like, he was just excited. And was this God's entire truth? No. It was the beginning of a plan that God was unfolding. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 3.8 that God preached the gospel to Abraham. I'm not making this up. This is Galatians 3.8. says, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham. The word that Paul uses to describe the promise of God to Abraham is the gospel. And he says, 
saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So what is another way that we can understand the gospel other than just justification by faith? Is, in you shall all the nations be blessed. That was the first time that God spoke the gospel to Abraham. And it was incomplete. It didn't mention Jesus. It didn't mention the cross. It didn't mention the blood. It didn't mention all the things that we mentioned, which is now we have the full story. But to Abraham, it was an incomplete message, yet it was a true message. In you shall all the nations be blessed. And then Moses didn't see the full picture. Moses didn't understand what was happening. He just thought that he was taking God's people out of captivity in Egypt and taking them to the promised land. And the crazy thing is that if you look at what these people saw and compared to what we are seeing right now, we tend to believe that they had a better experience with God than us. I've watched the movies and I've read the stories and my kids have told me and I agree with them like, man, I wish I would have been there. Imagine Moses, he witnessed the sea, whatever you, there's controversy about whether it was a lake or if it was the actual sea or if it was the Red Sea, whatever. He saw a huge body of water split in two and people walked right past it or in the middle of it. He saw a burning bush. He saw all the plagues. He saw Bread coming from heaven in the middle of a desert. He hit a rock and water gushed out. I mean, he saw all these things. And God says he didn't see it all. That was just part of it. And David, and I mean, everyone that you can get in the Old Testament, you can tell, man, that was amazing. But the reality is that it was just a portion. It was just a piece of what God was doing. Hebrews 11, again, whether you believe it's Paul or not, the the author of Hebrews says, these, talking about the cloud of witnesses, remember? Everyone from the beginning to up to that point. Hebrews 11, 13 says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They just had glimpses of what was going to happen, but they didn't see all the things that you and I now see. And this is the crazy thing that Paul is now saying in verse 5, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed. He says to his apostles and prophets, but it also includes us. He actually says the exact same thing in Colossians. And he says that this were the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And this is something that you and I now understand. But Paul makes a specific, a specific way for us to receive this revelation. And the revelation is only received by the Spirit. The end of verse 5 says that God now has made this known or revealed to us by the Spirit. This, if you're listening to me and you understand what I'm saying, and if you read this text and you understand what he's saying, it's because the Holy Spirit is within you. 
The only way that people can understand this is through the Holy Spirit. We cannot understand these mysteries by ourselves. In fact, people were not even allowed to see who Jesus was based on their intelligence. The most intelligent people, in my opinion, were the Pharisees. Any of us have memorized at least half a book of scripture? This guy has memorized not only one, at least five. That was the initial one. And they could quote all kinds of things. They knew the law left and right. They were smart. And they didn't understand who Jesus was. People needed to have the Holy Spirit to understand what was happening. Remember the disciples on the road of Emmaus, to Emmaus in Luke 24 after Jesus dies? These people have been with Jesus for years. And Luke 24 actually says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, meaning Jesus, interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus is walking with these people. They have no idea that he is Jesus himself. And they're talking about what happened to Jesus. And Jesus is like, oh, let me tell you about this guy from the Old Testament. So he's going through the prophets and Moses. And he's interpreting all scripture about Jesus. This is in verse 27. And it's until verse 31 that he says, and their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. So even Jesus himself, like really interpreting scripture, which is probably perfect hermeneutics, (laughs) probably. uh, He's talking to his disciples who were with them for years. And it was until Jesus decided to open their eyes that they were able to see him. He appears to his disciples later, and they don't recognize him. They think he's a ghost. And in Luke, we see that Jesus has to truly open their minds to understand who he is. This revelation, what I'm telling you right now, is not something that people easily grasp. It is something that we can only understand through the Holy Spirit. And if you are a believer, somebody who has received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and Paul talked about this, you have been sealed with the Spirit. You can now understand this. And what Jesus, or what, what Paul is telling us right now is, you need to understand that this gospel that you have is for all the nations. Think of this. The church started in Jerusalem. Remember? Jesus leaves. He empowers the, 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 his disciples. The Spirit comes upon them. They start speaking in tongues. Paul gets up and starts to preach the first sermon. And they're all Jews. And thousands of them uh, repent and come to faith. And then they start getting uh, hammered by the, the Pharisees. And they are persecuted. And they flee from the city. And that's how the gospel begins to spread in all of these new places. And Paul is writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, which is in Turkey nowadays all the way north from Israel and it's a place filled with pagans 
Nobody here is the typical Jew. So the church in Ephesus is a church where there was probably people from Greece, people from Syria, people from Rome, people, people from all over the place. And Paul is writing to a church that is filled with people from all kinds of places. And he's saying, guess what? This was the plan all along. This is exactly what God wanted all along. And remember, the Jews who were Christians were insisting that the way to become a Christian was to first become a Jew. He kept saying, no, 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 no. I know, but remember, Jesus was a Jew. He was circumcised. He didn't eat pork, and he didn't do this, so you have to do it the same way. And Paul comes and says, no, this is not the point. The point is there is no longer two or three or four people. There's one person, and this is a mystery that is now being revealed to all of us. And the only way you're going to understand it is through the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand the beauty of this. We need to understand how blessed we are. In a way, and what I want you to hear is what the Bible states is that what we have right now, the message of the gospel that you and I understand is better than any, any amazing story you read in the Old Testament. So we need to understand that it's not better to have seen the plagues than what we're seeing right now. It is not better to see the cloud of fire in the middle of the desert, even though that's going to be amazing. It's not better. Nothing is better. Think of your best story in the Old Testament, the one that you like the most. That is not compared to the fact that you now understand who Jesus is and why he came. What we have been revealed is a plan that was hidden purposefully for ages. And the plan is everyone is welcome into the family of God. This is, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples in private. In Luke chapter 10, he says, Then, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets... And kings desired to see what you see and did not see. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Jesus is telling, to his, telling his disciples, what you're looking at is what Moses wanted to see. And Elijah wanted to see. And Daniel wanted to see. And Abraham and every single one of those heroes never got to see. You are in front of it right now. And Paul says in Colossians that he chose to give it to us, the mystery hidden for, for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them, meaning the saints, us, chose, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you. So this Christ is no longer somebody we see. It's somebody who lives inside of us. And I hope we understand how amazing that is. Because he just keeps getting better. 
this plan is, has not stopped. In fact, it's going to get better. He's coming back again. And it's going to get way better than what we see. And what we just sung about, it's going to actually happen. We're going to see him face to face and our jaw is not going to drop. I don't know. It's going to explode. I don't know what it's going to do. But it's getting better. And this Jesus that Moses talked about or thought that he knew about and the disciples saw, he is now in you. And that is not exclusive to you. It's for everyone. I think this needs to make us feel special. I have a silly example of how I felt about something that somebody did that was very special. And um, my wife, Carla, grew up in this area. And, of course, she's a product of the Christian purity culture. She had the ring. If you know what I'm talking about, you're probably laughing. But she went even beyond that. She went to a Pentecostal church camp, and they asked all the people there, the teenagers, to write a letter to their future husband or wife. Uh, don't raise your hand if you've done it. Um, and she did, because my wife is a rule follower, and she wanted to be the best Pentecostal girl ever was with her skirt and everything. Um, and she wrote a letter to me. She didn't know it was me. And the, but that's, that's just kind of cute, and many, of, many people have done it, but she, uh, she didn't lose it. She had it actually present. And on our wedding night, she ruined my life. Because she explained what it was. She handed me this old little paper that was, I was like, what, what why are you giving me a letter? Uh, and she, she explained what it was. And I could not believe it. And I read it. And I cried. And I've, nobody has ever, ever in my life ever done that to me. And I'm not a letters kind of guy. Um, but that was just, I, I couldn't believe it. It actually made me kind of think about what I was, I'm like, I could ruin your life. This is not me. <laughs> um, I was like, I, I felt honored. I felt loved. I felt special. I felt a lot of responsibility. And, and that was a letter that she wrote probably like 15 years before she met me. And I feel honored. But you and I are part of the plan of God since the beginning. He thought of you. And I know that we're against the prosperity gospel. It's all about you, but not, but it's true. He didn't just think of a, a lump of people that he didn't know by name. No. He thought of nations, but he also thought of you individually. He knows your name. He is the all-powerful. He knew before he founded this earth that one day you were going to be sitting here. And it all started with Moses and Abraham and all of them. But it was just a plan that was developing so that, that one day you would be here. And not only you, your kids. And not only your kids, but your kids' children too. And it's all part of this beautiful plan. It is so beautiful that Peter says this, the following. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have been now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from, sent from heaven. And listen to this last part. Things into which angels long to look. We don't understand what we're doing. And this is, this is a message that is as much as a slap in the face to me as it is to everyone. Because sometimes I forget that I get to preach this message. Sometimes I forget that I, I, I have the privilege to actually deal and, and read the scripture in a way that not even angels understood a long time ago. And that is what Paul says. And verse 10 actually says, all of this idea of the gospel that I am a minister, all of this idea of this, of, of this covenant and this mystery that now has been revealed is, and verse 10 says, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Our job as a church is also to manifest, display this beautiful wisdom of God even to people in heavenly places. And this is amazing because most of us are not Jews. Most of us were separated from God a long time ago. And now because of that, we have access to God. But I want to finish by emphasizing something that I think it's important for us and it's very applicable for us today. And it's the fact that as the church, we are to be a display of this manifold wisdom of God. What does Paul mean with the manifold wisdom of God? Remember where Paul is coming from. Paul has been spending some time talking about how God is not only saving and bringing uh, Jews into his family or just one kind of people. He talked about the recon reconciliation of all people and the recon reconciliation between us and him. And he's now revealing this mystery that it wasn't just for Jews, now it's for everyone. And then he uses the word Manifold. Other translations of the Bible use uh, diverse. Other translations of the Bible use multifaceted. Other translations of the Bible use different things. But the idea, the actual meaning of the word that Paul is using here means something that has many sides or many features or forms. So what Paul is saying is that through the church, and he talked about this before. Remember in chapter 2 he said, we are now being built as, a, as an infrastructure, as a, as a building together, as, as this thing that Jesus is the cornerstone of. He's building all these things together, and we're all being a part of that. And he says the purpose of this is to display the manifold wisdom of God. He could have just said the wisdom of God. But he chose to use the word manifold. To, this, to, to, to reference or describe the wisdom of God. And this is important because we need to understand now today, as the church in Ephesus was also understanding, that the wisdom of God doesn't only come from Jews. 
God is so wise that he put his wisdom in different forms and in different shapes. And as a church, we need to understand that God's wisdom is not uniform or homogeneous. And that every member of the world or the human race has pieces of this wisdom. And this is important to understand. This is important to understand because we, as just normal people, tend to think that our way is the best way. And we all do this. That's what we do because we're human. Our family is the one that's doing it right. Our, our marriage is the one that's understanding. They are not understanding. They should do things like we do. They should raise our kids like we raise our kids. They should do what we do. That's what we all do. That's our default as human beings. And we do it in the church too. We tend to believe that, no, the Reformed church is the church. No, 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 no. The Baptist church, that's the church. No, no, those Pentecostals, they're crazy. No, 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 no. It's not the Africans. They're just too loud. No, no, the Asians, no, it's not. It's the whites. No, it's the Hispanics. No, who is it? It's everybody. Because the wisdom of God is manifold. And that's why, wisely, we use the word Catholic to describe the church. And if you don't know this, when you hear the word Catholic, it doesn't mean Roman Catholic. It doesn't mean that they are part of a specific faith. No, the word Catholic, which we can all agree with because we actually use the Nicene Creed to describe who we are, says that we are one Catholic church. And Catholic means different things. One of them is universal, meaning everyone. But Catholic also means all-encompassing or according to the whole. And this is important. This is important because we need to understand that the way we do things, the way we see things, the way we used to do things is not the only way. God in his wisdom has put pieces of his wisdom everywhere else. And this is what uh, Justo Gonzalez, one of my favorite theologians, says. This is the Catholicity, the real Catholicity of the church. It's not that just, oh yeah, God has people all over the world in his church and they're welcome as long as they do things the way we do them. No. The real Catholicity of the church means that God has people all over the world that he has chosen to be a part of this church and everyone brings something to the table. And this is not only happening in the church. If you realize what's happening in history, you can see it happen perfectly too. One of the most iconic music that, uh, mu yeah, uh, music genres that I am proud of is mariachi because I am from Mexico. So every time I hear a mariachi, I want to just grab my, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just, I want to put my sombrero and like scream and that's, that's because that's what I, I've heard my entire life. The funny thing is that, number one, that music is played with European instruments. The trumpet and the guitar are not original from the Aztecs or the May Mayans. And we didn't even actually use the same uh, tones or scales that they use. Those are all European scales, too. But guess what? The combination of two cultures created something beautiful. And that's what we're seeing right now. We have a beautiful creation that's called Tex-Mex. And you all love it. <laughs> the only thing is just don't tell me it's Mexican. 
And then we have Chinese food that is not Chinese. If you ask a person from China, they'll tell you like, eh. And we have things that mixing all these things are amazing. We have jazz and African culture that mix with Latin culture. And then you have salsa. And then you have all these things that, sorry if I talk about music, but that's one of the things I like the most. But put it in food. Put it in art. Put it in fashion. Put it everywhere. You can see the manifold wisdom of God displayed everywhere. And we can see it and we should see it and display it here in the church as well. Summarizing, I believe that Paul is speaking to a church that was having problems worse than what we have right now. Because back then it wasn't just political. There was no respect or tolerance. There wasn't. You were a pagan and you were killing babies and eating stuff that were like absolutely disgusting and you should not even eat with me or get together with me and you smell different. It was just bad. If you think that Palestinians and Jews have conflicts right now, you should have checked 2,000 years ago. It was worse. And this church is in Ephesus and people from all over the place are attending this church and getting the gospel and they can't find a way to relate. And Paul is saying, we all need together. The wisdom of God is not homogeneous. It's no longer going to be one way. It's no longer going to be one person. It's no longer going to be one kind of thing. It's going to be the wisdom of God displayed in different ways. Now, a word of caution. Of course, and many of you, if you are reformed, you're already nervous because you think I'm going too liberal and I am going to into the ecumenical world. And let me tell you, no, we have certain safeguards. But if you are with somebody who tells you that there is a trinity and define the trinity the way you define it and believe in salvation the way you believe in salvation and believe in the in inerrancy of scripture the way we believe in the inerrancy uh, whatever of scripture, all of those things, then be with them. Let's stop fighting about our preferences. And today, we need this. The church that we are about to experience in these next, next decades is going to be very different from the church that we grew up in. Or our parents grew up in. Because guess what? This is happening again. We are in Manassas, Virginia, and all you have to do is walk two blocks and you're going to find someone that does not speak English. Does not dress like you does not think like you, does not drive like you, and does not have the manners you have. And guess what? That is hard. I'm telling you because I experienced it, and I still experience it. It's not easy. It's not easy, but it's worth it. It's part of the difficulty of God for us to grow. And you experience it too when you marry somebody. When you marry somebody, it's the most difficult thing you do, but it's also the best thing you can do. I would be a complete jerk if I didn't marry Carla. Because of that woman, I am now able to do things and think things that I never thought of. I thought she was ridiculous. I thought she was sentimental. I thought that she made no sense. And then my stupidity decreased because I started to listen to her. It's true. 
But that's exactly what happens when you are able to understand that the other person, just because he doesn't do the same things you do, is wrong. That is exactly what happens. And that's how it's going to be. Revelation 7 tells us that, that the Apostle John looked and there is a sea of people that nobody could number from every nation, from every tribe, from every language standing before the Lord. But we don't like it. Even if you are the most tolerant people and, 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 and whatever you are, it's hard. We nod our heads here, but this is not easy to do. This is not easy. And if we say yes to this and we want to embrace our city, it's going to be hard. Because guess what? Your services of one hour and a half, say goodbye to them. Your services that start at 1030, <laughs> good job, good try. No. Because we value different things. Because we're different. Is it wrong? No, we value different things. The smells, the manners, the way kids behave in church, it's not going to be easy. It is not going to be nice. People are going to get in your nerves, and you're going to be insulted many times. But this is exactly what was happening here. And we have an opportunity like no other before. Theologian Samuel Escobar says, and this book was written in 2006 or 7. He says, migration is a major feature of the 21st century. I would argue that if you read history, this is a, this is a feature of all history. A 2005 United Nations report claims that there are nearly 191 million international migrants worldwide. The International Organization for Migration estimates the number of foreign migrants at around 200 million. Another 100 million are on the move within their own borders. Migration is enormously complex. Its causes and its effects range from simple economic betterment to the horrors of war, ethnic conflict, and genocide. Whatever the causes, it is an undeniable opportunity for evangelization that the church dare not to ignore. We have a unique opportunity here today. What are we going to do? Are we going to pursue the same? Or are we going to jump into a new ocean of uncomfortable? It might take us a long time to figure out, but it's displaying the manifold wisdom of God. Paul is suffering for them. If you notice the first verse, he actually says, I'm in jail because of you. And then, at the end, he says, do not mind. Do not lose heart over what I'm suffering for you. Because this is your glory. This is a calling for all of us today as a church. What are we going to do? 
And the reality is that my purpose is not here to push your will, to say, I am going to champion and will to push through. I'm telling you that I believe that this is where God is leading us, but we are not going to be able to do it on our own. The first posture we need to take is to understand and admit that we can't do it, that we don't like doing it. We don't like it. And I said it last week. I want to eat my Mexican food. I want to be with the people that have the same shirt I do, especially now that the World Cup is coming. <laughs> I, that's what I enjoy. But guess what? That's not what God wants. He never made us to have just a comfortable life. But our sin does not allow it. We're too selfish. And we live in a, in a, in a, in a political climate that even makes it even harder. We have moved not beyond the normal things to like ridiculous things that we're fighting about. We live in a tense world and our sin makes it even harder to mix. But we don't have to do it on our own. We have someone who did it for us. And Paul ends reminding us this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a plan that God is doing, and he is going to do it in us. This is not something we need to come up with. This is not your effort or your better ideas or your intellect or your amazing, merciful heart. No. It's God doing his eternal purpose that he realized in his son, Christ Jesus in whom we ha now have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. The only way we're going to do this is if we understand the gospel, is that if we understand that we are selfish, and one of the keys of a church like this is a church that learns to apologize and recognize its mistakes and repent constantly. But this is what the gospel calls us to do. If you're a believer, you now have the Holy Spirit within you. You understand the mystery, and you are able to do whatever your sin prevents you to do, from doing just because of Jesus. And you will have the grace to do it now. Because it's not about us. It's not about what we want. It's not based on what we can do. It's based on what he does, what his plan is, and what he's done in our lives through the work of his son in, in the cross. So I want to say we have everything we need. Not because of us. Not because we're smart. It's because of him. And because he has chose us, chosen us to do this. So let's pray and believe that God moves us and uses us to do his will, to display the manifold wisdom of God. Of God today. Dear God, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your, for your word. We thank you for everything you're doing in our lives. Lord, help us just be a part of your plan, the plan that you are doing, unfolding, executing, Help us reach everyone. Help us move out 
of our comfort just in the same way you did it. Lord, I pray that Philippians 2 would become a reality, that we would no longer think of ourselves as better, but that we would think of others as better than ourselves, and that we would be willing to empty ourselves just like you were willing to empty yourself and suffer for others and serve others. Thank you, God, for this opportunity that we have. Thank you because you are bringing the nations to us. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move us to take this message of hope and grace to everyone. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.